Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week and just a little bit of news here at the NovaCare Complex as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 71. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films, who will join us every week here on the podcast to talk about the Eagles and the upcoming opponent. We'll get Greg's thoughts on the Eagles on both sides of the football from this preseason and take a quick peek at the Cleveland Browns. After we wrap up with Greg, I'll give you my scouting report on a player that the Eagles really need to make sure they account for on Sunday afternoon before we end this podcast with two technique, where this week I caught up with Eagle safety Rodney McLeod to talk about the role of a safety in a too high coverage, something you'll see a lot of in this Eagles defense. We have got a ton to get into. Let's not waste anytime. Greg and I talk about Carson Wentz, this Eagles defense, and a whole lot more. So let's get to that interview right now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. For the first time this season in a segment that uh, the critically acclaimed segment between myself and Greg Cosell. Everybody looks forward to hearing Greg's Pro- thoughts. Probably just our wives. Well, yeah, yes, that, yes. that's that, true. Those are the people who are critically acclaiming it. Maybe my brother. Right, or my right, right. right. Throw, a couple, throw a couple people in there. But right. uh, very, very happy to be joined by Greg Cosell to open the 2016 season. Greg, everybody looks forward to hearing your thoughts oh boy. on the Eagles every single week and the opponent every single week. Now, having caught up with you for a couple of weeks, we talked right. back in training camp. I think it was week one or week two of camp. But now that you've seen this Doug Peterson offense over the course of four preseason games, and we've seen now that Carson Wentz, he only played 39 snaps this preseason, but he's going to be the starting quarterback. Let's first get your reaction to Carson Wentz being named the starter. How, ex- how I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see the kid play and see how he fares in live competition. Well, I'm really excited, but I must admit I was initially surprised. I just assumed, like probably many people, yep. that when the trade was made, that Chase Daniel would get the start at least for a couple of games. Uh, but you know what? Deep down, I'm a believer that you want to put a young quarterback out there. Look, n- you couldn't make the argument that no rookie is ready to play in the NFL. But after a while, you still have to play rookie somewhere along the line. It's like getting married or moving into a house. Like, you're never really 100% ready. Right. Like, you, 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 do, you stick your, uh, you stick your exactly. foot in and you go forward. Right. And, and look, Carson Wentz, I've, I've had the privilege to be around a, a number of times and I think just what helped them make the decision is the kind of person he is, yep. the, the kind of process guy he is. And what I mean by that is I think it's very clear when you're around Carson Wentz that he understands the process of preparation. And that is so critical in the NFL. The NFL, you don't just show up on Sunday and play. It's the process of preparation. And my sense is that Carson Wentz is very, very good at that. Now, having said that, you don't expect the full playbook to be in play. And we'll see how that plays out uh obviously they have a pretty diverse run game um i think that it's a lot of short passes there there's a quick game that's very much a part of the doug peterson offense because i've seen kansas city play probably every play from kansas city the last three four years and they have a very good quick game which there's not reading in a quick game you know it's three step ball comes out five step ball comes out so i think you'll see a lot of that you know it's what's really stood out to me about the the Doug Peterson offense, and I put this in a couple pieces I've done, has been the the multiplicity of yep. it. 
you know, you have so many different personnel groupings, all those different formations in those personnel groupings. Sure, there are the staples, and we've seen the, the three-level stretch and, and a lot of the quick game like you've talked about, but so many different ways they get into it. But then also, out of all the different groupings, you see the 13 personnel, really? 12 personnel, 22 personnel, all those different looks. And when I say those personnel groupings, talking about the different assortment of running backs and tight ends on the field, just really, really exciting to see this game plan. And look, also taking players – and saying, you know what, this is how this guy's best fit. You take a, you trade for a DGB, you bring in Doro Green Beckham, we're going to throw him a fade in the red zone, we're going to run some shallow crosses, we're going to do some quick slants, the things that he did in college at a very high level, and we're going to put him in that position to make those kinds of plays. Yeah, and I think that's the, – the multiplicity of personnel, I think, is really an important piece of this offense. Because, you know, keep in mind, a lot of teams, they don't necessarily run – a large volume of plays. It's not as if they're going to run 150 plays, but what you do is you run basic concepts out of so many different looks, personnel packages, that they all initially look like different plays. And the defense, based on the personnel and the formation, has to react to certain things. You know, in some ways, it's the run game is really an interesting part of this because so much of the run game is trying to prevent support. You know, this almost goes back to Joe Gibbs back in the day when the Redskins had about three runs. You know, and of course, the the counter tray was the big run. Right. And it was just how they got to this run formationally because they ran the same plays, but how they got to them because what they were trying to do was to minimize run support from outside the box area. Now, sometimes you can line up with three tight ends on one side, you know, which is basically becomes what we call a five-man surface, and you just line up and say, here we are, and you try to run. And every team does that. Good running teams do that because they feel that it's a physical game and you have to do that. You say five-man surface. Can you just explain that to the listeners? Five-man surface means that on one side of the center, how many uh, offensive linemen or tight ends you have. So if it's three tight ends to one side, you've got the guard, the tackle, and then three tight ends. So you have five players to one side of the center. So we call that a five-man surface. That's great. Uh, But, you know, I think the kind of thing that Doug Peterson does really, really well is the fact that he can be very multiple with his personnel and his formations to help the run game. And that's why you saw last year when a Jamal Charles goes down, the Chiefs continue to run the ball really well with Spencer Ware, with with West. You know, I mean, they, they just continue to have a consistent run game. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the scheming of it. So let me ask you this question. This was uh, I, I gave you some homework uh, oh, leading, boy. It, leading into tonight's podcast. And one of the things I asked you was, can you name some of the hardest run games to prepare for schematically? in the National Football League. Obviously, in your role at NFL Films, you watch right. tape of all 32 teams. Going off of last year, sure. what you saw from 2015, who were the hardest teams to prepare for from a run game perspective? Well, I think Carolina immediately comes to mind, and that's because of Cam Newton. And I'm certainly not suggesting Carson Wentz is Cam Newton, but I think Carson Wentz, as Alex Smith did in Kansas City, by the way, yep. does give you that element of the quarterback being a part of the run game which definitely adds stress to the defense. So I would say Carolina because they had so many different backfield looks. They had one-back sets, two-back sets, three-back sets. And when I say two or three backs, they weren't always backs. They could have been tight ends. But they're in the backfield, so it's it's a two- or three-back look. And then you add the element of the quarterback that must be defended by someone, 
and you have a very multiple diverse run game that's very difficult to prepare for and defend. We, as I said, we saw that with Alex Smith in Kansas City. Alex Smith rushed for almost 500 yards last year. Right. Now, not all of that was were on scrambles. Uh, Carson Wentz does give you that element. I'm not sure early on they may want him to do that with the rib injury, but I think eventually he gives you that threat, and teams must defend that threat, particularly when he's in the shotgun. Yeah. Um, so Carolina immediately stands out. Um, and I know I talked about we talked about this the other day. I'm, you know, there's some uh, uh, so Kansas City. I think Buffalo. Greg Roman to me, and I even go back to his days in San Francisco. Another offensive coordinator who's very multiple with his personnel. We talked about three tight ends. He would do that. We talked about running out of spread. He does that. Very different run looks. And I think that you know, obviously they've got LaShawn McCoy, who when healthy is still a dynamic back. So Buffalo would certainly come to mind. But I think one thing also to remember, and I think this is important, you don't have to be highly, highly multiple to have a good run game. Right, no question. You know, you look at the Dallas Cowboys, and again, they have a new back this year in Ezekiel Elliott, but when they had Murray in 2014, I mean, they essentially ran outside zone and some counter stuff, and they were dominant. Their O-line is obviously terrific. Pittsburgh, when Le'Veon Bell is there, has a multiple run game because Bell can run any kind of run. So sometimes it depends on your back. Minnesota, even with Adrian Peterson, arguably clearly the best back of the last decade as far as just a pure runner, they're not that multiple because Peterson does not like a fullback, and he's not a patient runner. So you don't do, let's say, a lot of outside zone that requires patience. You do a lot of inside stuff because he just wants to hit it without anyone in front of him. So they have a really good run game, but you wouldn't call their run game particularly multiple. So here's why I asked was because I was looking back to the playoff teams last year and the theme that uh, yeah, everybody talks about is, well, all the best team, the teams with the best quarterbacks, obviously you make it to the playoffs. So you, you have your Aaron Rodgers, right. your Tom Brady, your, your Peyton Manning's a year ago. Everybody, your, your top quarterbacks are making it to the playoffs. After that, it's your top defenses. Oh, you know, you Seattle and you right. go back to Baltimore and, and so on and so forth. The other theme, though, is the multiple run games. And the, the team, you look at uh, so many teams in the past, and you th- I think back to a team like Seattle, even when, when Russell Wilson has always gone through his ups and downs. You had that run game with Marshawn Lynch and all the different things they wanted to do from an action standpoint in the backfield, and that was such a big part of helping that offense go and how much a run game like that can help propel an offense. And, and look, this division is wide open, obviously, in the NFC sure. East. It's when, regardless of who's a quarterback, whether it's you know obviously Sam Bradford's gone, it was Carson Wentz, Chase Daniel, if you've got that multiplicity from a personnel package standpoint, but then also – all the different things you can do well, in the run game, I think that helps. Here's a the way I, I would. Way. Here's here's maybe a, a different spin on what you said, which yeah. by the way is all true. Yep. But a different spin is this: when you look at the NFL, how many quarterbacks would you really say can carry a team week to week to week to week for 16 weeks? Very very few, wouldn't yeah, you say? Absolutely. Wouldn't you say that almost all quarterbacks really need a run game and balance within an offense? I mean, are there given weeks where, you know, Bill Belichick looks at an opponent and has Tom Brady drop back 55 times, as we've seen happen? Sure. He's Tom Brady, arguably the greatest. You know, could Drew Brees do that in any given week? Sure. But in the NFL, it's really hard every week to ask your quarterback to drop back 40, 45 times. I mean, unless, of course, a given game demands that based on score, but I'm talking about going in with that as your game plan. Yeah. And even last year, 
Think about this. Aaron Rodgers, okay? Mike McCarthy takes over the play calling week 14, I believe, against the Dallas Cowboys, and they ran the ball that week more than they passed it, and they won because as good as Aaron Rodgers is, their pass game was struggling for any number of reasons, some beyond Rodgers' control and then some that impacted Rodgers so it became him as well. But every team really – if you're talking about building a team to play for 16 weeks and through the playoffs, you need to be able to run the ball, and you really need to be able to run the ball. I don't want to say between the tackles because outside zone theoretically is not between the tackles, but you need to be able to run the ball the NFL way, where, which is essentially inside. You know, uh, not not. It's not like college. You know, you can't live off jet sweeps and and shotgun gap run. I mean, you're, at some point in the NFL, you have to line up and run the football. Absolutely. So, uh, we've spent so much time, almost twelve minutes now, talking about the offense and obviously this matchup against this Cleveland defense. Sure, it's a, it's a good way to start. We'll, we'll put it that way in terms of a personnel standpoint. Obviously, Ray Horton has been around the league for a long time. Very accomplished defensive coordinator, but no established pass rushers there no. on that side of the football. Of Outside of Joe Hayden, they don't have a ton of playmakers in the secondary, and like you said, a ton of young guys playing. But flipping side of the, of the football, you look at this Eagles defense, which we're, I know we're both very, very excited about, going up against a Cleveland Browns offense that's led by RG3. They've got... Uh, much like what we just talked about with the Eagles offense, a lot of different things that they're trying to do in terms of personnel groupings and formations, so many so many different uh, shifts and motions yep. pre-snap from Hugh Jackson, the run-pass option element, a lot of different things they work in, a lot of empty. It's, a, it's an interesting offensive game plan. Obviously, he's been at it for so long, both with Cincinnati and with Oakland. Uh, Hugh Jackson, a, a very creative play caller. But let's talk about this Eagles defense. Huge, a ton of big plays throughout the first three preseason games with it, with this first-team defense. Is there something that struck you as surprising after watching them through three games? Well, I thought their D-line played really well. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously you have a base D-line and you have a nickel D-line, and I thought they both played really well. And I think they're critical in this because at its core, Hugh Jackson is going to try to run the ball with Isaiah Crowell because it's just, look, our – Hugh Jackson would love this game to play out where RG3 drops back 23 times. Right. I mean, he's not looking for RG3 to have to drop back a lot because RG3 right now, his, he's not a timing anticipation player. He doesn't have an innate feel for the pocket. He leaves a lot of throws on the field because he doesn't turn it loose when he should. So, obviously, you want to get this team into longer yardage situations. But I thought the D-line played really well, and, you know, Brandon Graham is is a very, to me, underrated pass rusher. I mean, I'm not suggesting he's going to have 18 sacks, but he's a good pass rusher. And Vinnie Curry can rush the quarterback from inside or outside. He very much in some ways reminds me of a player that Jim Schwartz coached, Jason Jones. Oh, very interesting. Okay. You know, taller guy, can play inside or outside. And I think Curry, and while Jones was never a guy who got 15 sacks, he was he's a difficult guy for an offensive line to Absolutely. handle. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we know about Fletcher Cox. And by the way, there were times this preseason Fletcher Cox lined up at defensive end. Yeah. And by the way, I remember watching him in Mississippi State, which he did quite a bit. Yep. I actually thought he could be an edge pass rusher when I watched him in Mississippi State. Yep. And I know you remember seeing that. Absolutely. And I think that you'll see him at defensive end at times as well. What the one thing that surprised me was, you know, Jim Schwartz, the billing is he wants to rush with four, and obviously I, I think that's a hallmark of his defense. 
I was surprised by the amount of blitzes yeah. and, and exotic looks we saw through three games. You, you, there were lots of different looks, whether it was uh, double-A gap mugging, whether yep. it was corner blitz, a lot of nickel blitz, yeah. safety pressures, some cover zero looks in the third game against Indianapolis. Yeah, I remember. It, I, it I took was, note of that. I was very, very yeah. surprised by all the different I, looks we saw from that. From, yeah, uh, the I think in the first game. half I remember two zero blitzes. Yeah. And, uh, and you know what? I think he'll be selective. And I think you'll see it against RG3 because it's not only RG3, but it's also the offensive line. I mean, look, the center for the Browns, Cameron Irving, the second-year player from Florida State, he struggled through the preseason. And now you're asking him to work in tandem and pick up things that he has not shown he's able to pick up at this right. point. Yeah. So when you blitz, you're not just blitzing the quarterback, obviously. But on that point, RG3 is someone that at this point in his career, he's not seeing things clearly. He doesn't play with refinement or great clarity. So I think you'll see selective blitzes depending on down and distance and, and spot on the field. And the, the Eagles also, and this was something I did expect, was a lot of stunts up front. Yep. And I, that was something that Cameron Irving had a lot of issues with yes. this preseason. Well, they've got a lot of quickness up front in their nickel. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. When you have Cox and when you have Curry, when you have Graham, I mean, you have some, you know, and, and, and as I said about Graham, he's sort of an instinctive pass rusher. Yep. You know, you wouldn't call him explosive and dynamic the way you think of the great pass rushers, but he, he sort of has an intuitive knack for rushing the quarterback. Yeah, and really the other thing, too, with running those stunts, that was something they did really, really well the past few years yes. with Billy Davis. It, when they went into Nichols, you know, Vinnie Curry and Connor Barwin working together, Brandon right. Graham and Fletcher right. Cox working right. together. They did a, they have a really good feel for working off each other. Yep. I, I think that's going to play a big part in the game. Is Cam Irving and RG3 really struggling to see things inside agree. with some of those TT stunts or TE stunts on the outside. Yeah, and, and then secondary-wise, one thing I think you'll really see, well, two things. Number one, I think you're going to see disguised coverage looks. Yep. And then I think you're going to see some late movement just before the snap of the ball. Because you want to make RG3 have to think through the game. I think that's absolutely critical. Because I think he's still at the point where he's getting back to playing and he's not really a progression guy at this point. I think at this point there's going to be a lot of play calls where he's going to pretty much decide who he's throwing the ball to out of the huddle. And I think if you can show him disguised looks and late movement that you'll cause some problems. Greg, this is my part of the interview where I'm going to ask you for your hot take of the week. My hot take? Your hot take. How good can this safety tandem be? Malcolm Jenkins and well, McLeod. I know you were a big fan of McLeod. Well, I, I was fortunate enough over the last three years to do radio in St. Louis, so I saw every snap of Rodney McLeod. And I remember telling people three years ago, which was his first year as a starter, when he and Tim McDonald, or not Tim McDonald, uh, TJ McDonald, McDonald yep. Tim's son, yep. shows you how old I am, uh, uh, Fran. I didn't want to say it. Right, right. Uh, when I thought they that year, that first year together, were as good a safety tandem as there was in the league, and I thought McLeod was a really good free safety, but also had the ability to fill in the run game. He wasn't just a pure free safety. He was an aggressive player, and I thought he was a really, really good safety. And I remember the day that that news came that they signed him, telling people at NFL Films, I said, that is a really good signing, because a lot of people in Philly might not have known who he was, but I think... This group could be really good, this duo, because Jenkins has corner skills. He can play over the slot. He's very good in the run game. He's smart. He's aware. McLeod's the same way. I mean, they could have 
as good a safety duo as as there is in the league by as they keep working together more. Well, Greg, I'm I'm very excited to continue watching this safety tandem grow together uh, with you every Sunday here at the Novacare Complex as we uh, do all of our production here for our game day programming and the All 22 Review, which you can see every Monday on the site the day after games on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. But Greg Cosell, appreciate the time here on the Eagle Island Sky podcast. We will talk to you next week. Be here Sunday. Great stuff from Greg. Again, you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. But the other is to go on to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, Give us a rating. Leave us a comment. Shout out to two people this week who recently left comments. Oh, wow. Hmm. And Sunset Shaz both left great comments along with ratings for the show. Had very kind words to say. So much love to those two and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier that I wanted to profile a player that the Eagles have got to make sure they keep under wraps on Sunday. Time to reveal who that player is now in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so the player I wanted to cover in scouting report this week, middle linebacker Christian Kirksey for the Cleveland Browns. And you may not know too much about Kirksey but let me just give you a quick glimpse into him earlier in his college career I want to say this would have been the 2013 season because he came out in the 2014 draft he was a third round pick of the of the Cleveland Browns during the 2013 season I was watching Iowa and they had three stud linebackers you had Christian Kirksey at Sam you had Anthony Hitchens who I think was a fourth or fifth round pick and is now as a starter for the Dallas Cowboys at will and inside you had James Morris who was kind of bounced around with a couple of different teams now at this point in his career and I remember tweeting, this is all, I'll give you a little bit of uh, inside baseball here. I remember tweeting, you know what, all three of these guys, I will take all three of these guys over any other linebacker in the Big Ten. Well, back then there was a, a certain all-Big Ten, and I think he was an all-American candidate, linebacker at another Big Ten school. And uh, he was not too happy with that comment and ended up retweeting it, and I ended up getting all kinds of hate from that school's fans. But I don't need to mention the kid's name, obviously. Uh, he's gone on. He's, he's still playing in the NFL. But – it's just interesting. Kirksey has turned out to be the best of this whole group when you talk about all four of those players. He, he's a really, really dynamic player, can do a lot of different things for a defense. And when I watched him at Iowa, I really saw a guy that could be a potential starter. He lined up at Sam and at Will in their 4-3 scheme. He was mostly stacked. When I say stacked, I mean lining up in between the tackles. But he did spend a lot of time walked out over the slot and on the line of scrimmage, pressed over the tight end. So you love the positional versatility from him. He's an athletic player. He's got that sideline-to-sideline range. He can run with, with tight ends and even receivers down the seam. Was often left in man coverage in the slot, and he more than held his own. He proved that he was very comfortable in space. In the run game, he displayed that burst to shoot gaps and make plays in the backfield, and he was a really good form tackler. He had a high motor, made plays in pursuit. He consistently showed that speed to make plays from the backside. Now, he didn't always set the edge really well, and that was one thing I wanted to see him uh, do when he got to the NFL was get stronger at the point of attack. He didn't set that really hard edge consistently uh, in the team run fit, and he got washed out at times. So despite the fact that he was really tough and he was aggressive downhill, at the point of contact with a lead blocker, he would get washed away. Well, guess what? Unfortunately for the Eagles, he did get bigger. He did get stronger. Back then, I thought he was a future starter. He's turned into a high-level player inside for them. And you know, This preseason, he's looked outstanding in the middle of that 3-4 defense. He stays on the field in all their sub-packages. He can impact the run game and the passing game. 
you can make an argument that outside of Joe Hayden and on the outside, you know, Kirksey is the best player on that defense and someone that the Eagles will need to make sure is blocked up on Sunday's game. So uh, that's Christian Kirksey, a guy that has been really, really impressive. Uh, and he was a very, very talented Big Ten linebacker. And there are a couple other interesting Big Ten linebackers that have really intrigued me in the college ranks so far. So before we get into two technique, I wanted to give you a quick couple names to watch. First, Penn State's got a couple, a, a talented duo there. Brandon Bell, Naeem Wartman-White, both seniors. Both were named to the Senior Bowl watch list a few weeks back. I really like Wartman-White's physicality and his aggressiveness downhill. They've got a good matchup this week against Pitt and the running back James Conner. Also a name to keep an eye on, Northwestern's Anthony Walker. He's really instinctive. He's got a high motor, too. You guys know how forward-thinking I am when it comes to the NFL draft. So while we were talking about Kirksey, I feel like it was necessary just to bring up a couple of other Big Ten linebackers this year that could be standouts at the next level. All right, I teased it earlier. I caught up with Eagles safety Rodney McLeod to talk about the role of a safety in a too-high coverage. Let's get to that now in two technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Here now with Eagle safety Rodney McLeod and Rodney. Last year's defense was mainly a one-high defense. It looks like we'll see a little bit more two-high this year. Other than the amount of space you have to cover, how does that change things for a safety playing two-high versus one-high? Uh, you know, what I'm saying it's a lot that goes into it. Obviously, there are two different coverages. Uh, usually, when you see single-high quarterbacks, he either thinks his man or or is covered through of some sort. So um, you have a little more range to cover. Uh, as far as getting over the top of number one receivers and things like that to help out your corners. Um, half field, um, it's a little different. Obviously, you more focus on your half. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you got a lot of zone eyes on the quarterback and able, you know, to make a lot more plays, too. Is there and everything else pretty much stays the same? You're trying to not, not to let anything over the top. Are there any other big differences from an eye standpoint for you playing too high? Uh, yeah, I mean, it all depends. Either it's going to be cover four or cover two. Um, cover two, uh, definitely need depth. Um, cover four kind of turns into man, but from a deeper alignment, things like that. So, yeah, a lot of eye progression goes on between the two coverages. And, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, safety's man, most important. Uh, don't give up nothing deep, nothing over the top of your head, what they preach every day, and uh, make plays when they come. Thanks again to Rodney McLeod, Greg Cosell, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you, and if you get the time, again, rate the show. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Just shoot me a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy. So wherever, wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line in the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.